This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm very excited to bring you this episode on the very first day of 2024. I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Sophie Brock, who is a motherhood studies sociologist and mother living in Sydney, Australia. She is talking with us today about the social constructs of motherhood and the perfect mother myth and really diving deep and giving a lot of info and explanation around the pressures that we may feel as new mothers, why we feel those pressures and a little bit of what we can do about that. As she shares in this episode, it is so important to be having these conversations and at least hearing about these constructs so that we can begin to understand the pressure that we are living with and how we can begin to feel a little bit more free from those pressures. As you know, I really love to break up the stigma around mothering and motherhood and really try and get rid of the guilt and shame that kind of rules a lot of our internal life and that is put upon us by society. And Sophie really does beautiful work around this and I think gives a lot of great perspective on how we can begin to think differently. In her work, she provides analysis of motherhood in our culture, exploring the ways individual experiences of mothers are shaped by broader social constructs. And her work contributes to changing the cultural conversation around motherhood and the individual experience of mothers to create a world where mothers feel empowered, supported, and valued. And she offers self-study courses for mothers and mother-supporting practitioners, mentoring for mother-supporting professionals, in the Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification Online Training and her podcast, The Good Enough Mother. I'm really excited for you guys to start off the year with this conversation and hopefully carry it with you throughout the year. And there is so much in this episode for you to hear and learn and understand. Feel free to go through this episode multiple times. 
slow it down so you can really take in uh, what Sophie is talking about. So let's meet Sophie. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Kat. I'm very excited to talk with you and I have uh, my listeners hear a little bit more in depth about the motherhood myths. We do touch on that here and there on the podcast, but in the work that you do with such a deep focus and digging into these myths and understanding motherhood in all these ways that society, I don't know, pigeonholes us or has, or all of the definitions. I love that you're blowing that wide open and really taking a deeper look at, at all of this. So I would love for you to start us off and kind of give a sense of what your work is and what you do. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. It's a kind of unusual, I suppose, title or job description when, you know, you're asked by somebody off the street, oh, tell me about yourself. What is it that you do? (laughs) I have to be mindful of, well, who, what is your position in and what do you know about the world and how am I going to frame this for you? And so I think even that in and of itself is interesting to go, what are we talking about when we say we're interested in mothers and motherhood. And the way that I describe it in a hopefully useful way to picture is I think most people can understand what a scientist is, right? If we think about somebody walking into their lab with their white coat on and Mm -hmm. they get out their microscope and they've got a question or there's something they want to discover or something they're interested in learning about and they look at a specimen under their microscope to explore and search for answers. And as a social scientist, part of what I'm doing is going out into our social world. And so that looks like communities, relationships, reading texts, cultural messages, advertising, social scripts, things that we say to each other. And social scientists are interested then in going, okay, that's our lab. Our lab is the world. What are we going to focus on specifically? And for me, it's mothers and motherhood and mothering as a practice. And we can talk about maybe the differences between them, but it's then going, okay, our microscope is our theories, our frameworks, our ways of understanding. And so whenever I have conversations like this and we can talk about some of those theories, I always like to say and remind ourselves of how flexible those theories need to be Mm -hmm. because it's trying to capture the nuance of our lived experience and how varied and rich and diverse that is. Um, So that's kind of the lens that I bring to my research when I did my PhD, which focused on mothers who have children with disabilities, disabled children, Mm -hmm. children with additional needs. And that interest came about from my own lived experience, actually, of my dad, who had a disability. He had motor neuron disease or um, ALS, as it's Mm -hmm. referred to, I think, in North America. And he was diagnosed when I was five and he lived for 20 years. He had three to five year diagnosis. So it was amazing that he survived for as long as he did. But what that meant was that throughout my childhood and growing up, I witnessed the importance of care work and the critical nature of what it means to care and support each other. And I also saw a lot of the ways in which that care was marginalized or invisibilized or taken for granted. And I got really curious in my studies about, well, how does this look if you're the mother? So you're a carer of somebody with disability and you're also in that mother role. And that kind of led me into this world of discovering motherhood studies and focusing this area as my area of interest and focus. And since the PhD, I've expanded out into the work that I do now. It's amazing. And I know that it's the work that you're doing is very resonant for a lot of people. I, I know just, just from social media alone, the people that are following you and are really, I don't know, I assume really happy to be seen in the way that you're reflecting out to people and 
not necessarily defining things for people, but at least explaining it or, or for people to understand the, like, why do I feel this way as a mother and in this role? And the way you describe it to people is so incredibly helpful. Thank you. Thank you. So you were saying a little bit before that you could kind of go into some definitions or how you define motherhood and these other things. Yeah. Can you go into that? Sure. Yeah. So first off, it's to say that everything that I'm referring about to refer to is based on a really rich body of literature and history of maternal scholars. And so this work has been done for a really long time. And motherhood studies is an interesting discipline in that it actually kind of came about as a term by Professor Andrea O'Reilly in around 2008. And she used the term to capture a bunch of literature and research that was already there. Mm -hmm. So it's from people across different disciplines, anthropology, sociology, psychology, I mean, you know, name a whole bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And they were all people who were focused on the maternal experience and what motherhood means. And then it's bringing us all together and saying, hey, there's this collective interest here of these diverse perspectives. And so really just mentioning and reminding ourselves of that, this work, we're building on the work of those who have been doing it for a long time. One of the first or the first distinction that is important between motherhood and mother was made by Adrienne Rich in her book Of Woman Born. And this was in the late 1970s. And what Rich said was that there is a distinction between motherhood, the institution, and mother, the experience. Mm. And Professor Sarah Ruddick was a theorist who went on to make another definition to say mothering is different. So I'll explain the differences between Mm -hmm. these terms because that can help us as mothers to capture and use language to describe our experience. And that is, I think, where our sense of agency and feeling seen can come from. And the way that I describe this is to imagine I'd love an analogy to try and think about things visually when they're quite theoretical. And I talk about the analogy, I think you said you'd include a link to a little animation I have in the show notes of a fish tank. And what the point of this is, is for us to imagine this round glass fish tank. And that represents our society. That's the world that we're living within. And as individuals, specifically as mothers, we're the fish inside that tank. We're swimming around in the tank, doing our mothering work. So mothering is a verb. It's the doing. Mm -hmm. It's the changing nappies, holding space, responding to feelings. It's the actual labor of mothering. The tank itself is motherhood, the Mm -hmm. institution. It refers to the social ways in which motherhood is constructed socially, and we can break that down more later. And then mother is the individual fish. So Mm -hmm. it's the identity or the social role. And what is helpful about making these distinctions is we can say something about motherhood, the institution, that differs from mother the role and mothering the practice. So I can say, I did not sign up for this version of motherhood where I know in the US you don't get paid parental leave, where we don't have adequate healthcare, where we don't have adequate support and I'm doing this on my own. Mm. I actually do not like or want to subscribe to that version of motherhood that our society and institutions has created for us. And I cherish the role of being a mother. It is the or one of the most important roles that I have in my life and one of my most important identities. For some mothers, it feels all-encompassing. We experience this differently. But we can say that we cherish the role of being a mother and we reject the institution of motherhood. And mothering, we can say we love some parts of mothering Mm -hmm. and we hate some parts of mothering. 
right? So it's about bringing in these concepts to help us have more nuance in being able to accurately describe our lived experience. And when we're able to bring in some of these theories and understandings, it opens up more conversations for us to be able to answer questions like, why do I feel guilty all the time? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like it's me that's failing and I'm not good enough? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel overwhelmed? Why am I the one carrying the majority of the mental load? Mm-hmm. Why is my work invisibilized? Why is it that I'm quote unquote, just a mum now? Why is it so hard to manage my life as a mother and in paid work if I'm in paid work? All of these questions, they're very individual and they land really hard for us individually, but they're part of a broader social and cultural patterning. So I think that is where I see the work as being really, as you say, can really resonate with people to give us that framework. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just even breaking it down into, I guess, those three categories does so much because the way it feels anyhow is the experience is that it's sort of monolithic. It's one thing. It's all one thing and it should all just be like amazing and what we're born to do and all that ridiculousness. While that might be true for some people or some of the time, I don't think we do this to as many things as we do to motherhood, mothering, is that it should be good all the way across all the time. It's sort of ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah. And part of what you're referring to is the perfect mother myth. Yes, And so if we come back to that fish tank analogy and we were to imagine getting out a big black texter and writing on that tank all of the rules of what it means to be the perfect mum. And a little exercise we can do individually is to imagine that we've got an alien that has dropped in from outer space and they say to you, hey, can you describe for me what your society, what your world thinks a good mother is? Paint me a picture of the perfect mum. And yeah, yikes. And I mean, to name some of them, right? And I I would encourage listeners to notice as I just list out a few of these traits, like how does it feel in your body when you hear them and receive them? How is it hearing for you Mm -hmm. that the perfect mother should become a mother at a particular age or age? right? She's not too young because that's irresponsible, but she's not too old because she's labeled a geriatric mother. And why didn't you focus on creating a family earlier? So she's in a particular age range. She got pregnant easefully naturally. She wanted to have a baby. She wanted to be a mother. It was desired. She has a blissful pregnancy. She has an amazing, empowering, wonderful birth. Mm -hmm. Breastfeeding comes easily to her and Mm -hmm. she feeds for a particular length of time, but then not too long because there's something wrong with that and something wrong with you if you feed beyond a certain age. Right. She has the perfect baby who is the perfect sleeper who mm-hmm. slots into her life and doesn't disrupt anything. Mm-hmm. It comes naturally and easily to her. She falls in love with her baby. She doesn't have any feelings of apathy, regret, boredom, agitation, anger, frustration. Mm-hmm. And if she has any of those feelings, they're signifiers in some way, little a little light saying, you're not grateful. You're not appreciating this time. It goes by so fast. Cherish every minute. She's meant to be unchanged by the experience, and yet we expect her to change in every way. She's now selfless. She's less of a self. She puts everyone else before her to prove her love. Mm -hmm. Yet simultaneously, she's expected to be a perfect citizen, the contributor financially, economically. She's presumed to be partnered and likely married, so Mm -hmm. she fits the role of the perfect wife. The perfect mother we have on a pedestal is also white. She's middle class. She's able-bodied. She doesn't have children with additional needs. right? And I could go on and on and on and on. And what we realize 
soon enough is that nobody fits into this category. Right. But some people can try and hold up the facade easier than others. Mm. You're so right. I mean, that is so real. And I would love to know what, what you mean by easier than others. Who's sort of able to do that? Who gets to do that? So the more privilege you have, the easier it is. So in the fish tank analogy, I think of this in terms of like debris and coral and rocks in the tank. Mm. And so if you've got lots of those things in your way, if you have more challenges because of our environment, it makes it harder for you to swim. I'm using inverted commas, right, to mother. So if you are an Indigenous mother, I'm talking about my context here in Australia, we know all the statistics about mothers who are Indigenous, you aren't partnered, you will face more bias. Mm -hmm. You will have a a more difficult time navigating systems. We know the statistics about if you're a Black mother in the US and the way that your health is implicated because of that, the way that you'll be treated by systems because of the bias that is built into them and how they're constructed in their history. And so if you are positioned in that way, you are already outside of the box. So if you are somebody who is able to fit into particular identity markers of being white, middle-class, heterosexual, married, able-bodied, has a child who doesn't have a disability, who's neurotypical, who if you can try and tick a bunch of those boxes, then you can sort of mould yourself to fit into some of this facade of perfect motherhood, but it'll it'll never last because you're actually also human and the perfect mother is only supposed to experience a narrow range of human emotions. Um, But I think (laughs) this is important for us to be able to name because we recognise that as mothers, who are we talking about when we say as mothers? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in men, in some ways we do have a collective experience. We do have a collective essence or, or thing that we can kind of tap into when we say mothers. Right. But also it's very different. And depending on how you're positioned in that tank, you will experience your motherhood very differently. And I think that's really important for us to hold in mind when we're making comparisons between ourselves and other mothers too. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough as we know. And it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it, which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood. And they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful, and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house, from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code MIND. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That's a really helpful understanding of, I guess, the kind of privilege of being closer to this already defined idea of what motherhood is. And it also points out to if you sort of fall outside of that really, really narrow definition and you're trying to sort of be the perfect mother, how much harder you would have to try, how much more stress that would put on you as an individual, but I mean, collectively also to try and be that when you have less of those, whether they're resources or whatever it is. I mean, like you're saying, there's so many ways to define this, but that it's just in that framework alone, astonishing how stressful that would be. Incredibly stressful. Exactly. And It can be like if you're positioned outside of the ideal, you have to work even harder to try and meet it. But hopefully that can be validating to hear and receive. But I think there's also a line to highlight here in that the ways that we fall outside of the ideal can also be our doorways into resisting it and reclaiming our power. Mm. And lots of mothers already do this, right? And a way that this happens is I'm thinking about an interview that I did with one mother who became a single mother when she was 17. And then she became a mother again to two subsequent children in her thirties. And she was comparing the experience. And she said, actually, when I was young and single, in some ways, I found it to be a more liberating experience than when I was married in my thirties. Interestingly, Mm -hmm. systems treated me completely different, but I knew that I already was outside of them. So it afforded me a certain amount of freedom because I knew I didn't fit. So I can't fit in here. Well, I'm going to pave my own way. So that can also be an element to highlight. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I can see what you're saying, how it gives you enough of a reason or an excuse to not have to subscribe yourself to this idealized perfect mother myth. It makes me also think like, not how did we get here? Because that's like, many hours of a conversation. (laughs) But what are the ways in which I guess these days in modern parenthood and modern motherhood that we are continuing to be socialized into this mother myth, the perfect mother myth? What's happening? What's happening? Well, I can answer, I can try to answer the question of how we got here, like pretty succinctly, because there's a model that I teach in the certification called the pyramid of maternal regulation. Mm -hmm. And another way to say that is the steps that happen to that we take to get to this point, because it doesn't just happen when we become mothers. We don't just jump in the tank. We're born into the tank. And so it starts actually through a process of socialization when we're children ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we can think about all the ways in which we want to make children good. What does it mean to be a good little girl, a good little boy? What does it mean to be a woman, to be a man, right? We get into toxic masculinity, toxic femininity, trying to contort ourselves to fit a certain box. And how this happens is very subtle sometimes, and sometimes it's more overt, but we absorb it through the water. And I hadn't mentioned that part of the fish tank analogy, Mm -hmm. but the water is what we're swimming within and that's our culture. Mm -hmm. And unless we specifically have it pointed out to us and we start to build awareness as we're doing in this conversation, you don't know that you're swimming within it. But the water is our relationships, our intergenerational patterns in our families. What is it about our family that we do? What are the scripts that are repeated? How do we talk about ourselves and to each other? our broader community, 
our experience of the schooling system, if we go through the schooling system, our experience of the healthcare system, our experience of care providers, our experience of media, TV, internet, social media is obviously a really big one now. Advertising, marketing, messaging within music, pop culture. We have lots of ways in which we're absorbing particular messages around what it means to be a mother. And that perfect mother myth that we've already articulated and talked about, that is soaked in to all of those different cultural institutions and relationships. Mm -hmm. And so once we arrive at the point of becoming a mother, we have already been primed into the perfect mother myth. This obviously, you know, nothing applies to everybody. Some people have very resistant mothers and the way they were mothered actually helps set them up to resist these narratives. So it doesn't apply to everybody, but it starts when we're babies, Mm -hmm. continues when we're children. There's a turning point through adolescence, particularly for women, around body, comparison, Mm -hmm. self-judgment, self-critique. And that continues through the body, actually, when if we become pregnant, and that's the way that we enter into becoming a mother. And the top of this pyramid of how we got here and why it continues is guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Because we not only absorb it from everywhere else, we start to police ourselves. And that is the most sometimes painful thing for us. And it can also be the point at which we can start to create change is in the way that we are policing ourselves. Sure. I'm just thinking individually, psychologically speaking, that it's so insidious. It is just, it happens and you can be sort of have absorbed these messages and be now doing it to yourself. Everything's internalized and reproduced internally in that way. So much so that you don't even know that it's happening. It's that slippery. And before you know it, you're, you know, depressed, anxious, because you can't live up to all of these pressures, you just feel like a failure. Yep. That's the point. And the point is, is that they need to be invisibilized and at some level unconscious, otherwise the whole thing would collapse. And that's kind of the point of this conversation and why I'm doing this work, because I want it to collapse. You know, I want us, <laughs> yes. to, you know, I want us to be able to not hold these as unconsciously. But I think the thing to say is that we can't jump out of the tank. As long as we're within it, as long as we're within a society that is unchanged, we're going to be subject to these. I still am subject to these messaging. Sure. But what we can do is when we bring awareness and we bring in some of these theories, we bring in some of this language, I think about it as honing, you know, I mean, no one has these antennas anymore with uh, the radios, but if you have like a radio antenna, what's it picking up? And it's picking up all of these messages. We're just not conscious of it. So what we're doing through these conversations is we're honing our skill set to be able to pick up on it so that the next time we're told something like, oh, well, that's just what it means to be a mother. What are you complaining about? You should be grateful. Or we compare ourselves and we say, why, you know what, why can't I do this? Why is she able to do that? She's able to go and volunteer for the canteen duty. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I just dropped my daughter at school. You know, she's able to volunteer for the canteen duty. And why can't I? And my kid's asking me, but I've got to go to work five days a week and I can't get time off because I've just used up all my sick leave if I have any because my baby's been sick for two weeks. Like there's all of these ways in which actually we are confronted on the daily multiple times a day through our external environments, as well as what we're saying to ourselves with opportunities to detox from these messages. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be both daunting and overwhelming, but also really exciting Yeah, because it means that change is possible for us. 
Absolutely. I want to come back to what you said too, about that's the point, because there's a bigger, broader purpose, I guess, if you will, to what you're describing. Who benefits from mothers believing in this ideal myth? It's a good question. And a way that we can easily answer that, but in a way that is often misunderstood is patriarchal systems. Like Mm -hmm. that's the answer in terms of who benefits. But I think too often when we say patriarchal systems, people assume you're talking about men and it becomes this dichotomy or this binary of you're saying that it's us against men and and Mm -hmm. what about my partner and he struggles Mm -hmm. too. And and that is too simple of a story and it's not the truth of it. In order to have an accurate answer, we have to do part of what we're doing in this conversation, which is understanding systems more bigger than us and how they interlock with other systems Mm -hmm. and how that has been positioned in history as well. So the short answer is, is things continuing the way they are means that power structures continue as they are. And it can be very hard and actually, I don't know, maybe impossible to break them as an individual, but collectively we do have power and capacity to do that, I believe, particularly intergenerationally, particularly as people who are now mothering, parenting the next generation of children and the ways that they're being socialised into particular ideals. And I guess the second part of that answer, which maybe moves us into, I know, one of the subjects you wanted to talk about, but is we also can tell ourselves that we're benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. Um, So not everybody is down with this idea of talking about the perfect mother myth and deconstructing it because we can and do also receive benefits from trying to uphold this myth in our own lives. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. (laughs) I would love to hear more just about what you're saying right now about what our benefit is of holding it up and then also go into how you see the pushback. What are you hearing? Yeah, so part of the benefits comes from if we imagine when we become mothers, we step off this cliff with our identity. So it's like, here is who I'm going to be. This is what I imagine myself as as a mother. This is what I'm going to feel like. And then we actually go through the experience and we meet our baby and maybe they're not who we expected them to be. Mm -hmm. Maybe our expectations aren't met. Maybe we experience trauma in our birth. Maybe we experience a relationship breakdown. Maybe we experience difficulties feeding. Maybe whatever. Insert whatever it is Mm -hmm. that happened in your experience that did not meet your expectations of how you had imagined it. And it can feel like this falling, like we, I think of it as like, we step off this cliff, we're falling, like we're trying to grab onto things. Who am I now? Where do I position myself? And some of us like to grab hold of the perfect mother myth because it actually gives us a sense of an illusion, but Mm -hmm. a sense of control. So it's like, well, I know how to mother this way because here's a blueprint for it. Here is some ideas around what, crib to buy around, you know, how often to feed. I'll buy the book that tells me about the sleep intervals that my baby is supposed to be on. So we can look for a sense of certainty and control and the perfect mother myth can offer us a sense of that. And so depending on how you're able to grasp onto it, some more easily than others, that can actually suit us if it works for us because maybe my baby is an adaptable temperament and maybe they do fit into those sleep windows and I'm able to feel a sense of autonomy and agency from that. And there's lots of different examples of this, but that's one of the reasons why for some of us holding on to this perfect mother myth in some way, and we're probably not going to call it that, but holding on to that image 
can be really comforting. And so if mm-hmm. someone like me comes along and says, oh, you know, we haven't talked about this in this interview, but oh, here's all of this research that shows really high correlations between those who internalize the perfect mother myth with higher rates of depression, anxiety, burnout, overwhelm, lower well-being, lower life satisfaction, right? If we want to look at some of that research, high levels of risk of suicidality, there's lots of ways in which the perfect mother myth is incredibly toxic and detrimental, mm-hmm. not only to mothers, but also to children. Yeah. Um, if we get into talking about, you know, Winnicott's work, the good, like there's a whole branch of, you know, psychology, mm-hmm. psychoanalysis there. But if we have someone like me come in and say, well, let me talk about the ways we're socialized into this and kind of let's blow this up a little bit. There can be a lot of resistance to that because it is can be perceived as an undermining or a threat of somebody's identity when they've attached themselves strongly. And the other thing that I want to say about that is to be really clear that we're not sometimes the some of the resistance that I've faced has been about it being interpreted that I'm saying mothers choose this, like we go out and we choose this and therefore we do it to ourselves. So you're saying I'm struggling because I want to be the perfect mother. Well, I can choose this. And so sometimes there can be that missing piece, which I've talked about here, that pyramid, the socialization. So I think sometimes it can be received in a sense of what I've done this to myself then. If it's about my beliefs and undoing my beliefs, are you saying that I've done this to myself? And that's actually the opposite of what I'm saying. But that can be something that is sometimes misinterpreted about my work. And I think anyone who's made it this far in the podcast episode Mm -hmm. probably has a level of curiosity and resonance with what we've been talking about. Um, But some won't. Some mothers wouldn't hit play on this episode. They're not going to be interested in going here for whatever reason that may be. So it's certainly not for everybody. Right. And I appreciate you bringing that in as well. It made me think too that there's, as we're understanding more about our own psychology and in the, I don't know, the last 30, 40 years that people have become a little more introspective, emotional intelligence is now something that people are really aware of. And there's more, I guess you could say sort of like healing taking place in maybe this generation and some of previous generation. People are deciding to not mother how their mothers mothered. And then they're stepping out into this new world of not having necessarily, whether it's like a collective, like family guidance on what motherhood should look like or can look like, they're looking outward or they're trying to find ways in which they can identify and define themselves and what they want this to look like. That in and of itself can be disorienting. Made me think like, as you were saying, that maybe people are grasping on a bit because they're trying to forge something new and not quite sure yet where they're going with it. Wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yep. So the first thing I would say is like just massive respect to mothers who are mothering right now in this period of history, in our current generation, with our current access to information that is unprecedented and are being bombarded with so much that they're having to wade through. Yeah are dealing with so many crises, have access to understanding the depth and breadth of suffering and trauma and intergenerational impacts and ancestral impacts. And I mean, it's massive, right? Right. Like the pressure to heal it for everybody. Now the pressure to heal it for everybody. And we've got the first thousand days to get it right. And if we don't, we've failed and we've traumatized our children. And that's the last thing we want to do. It's so big. It is so big. So first, just to say, just really 
like honoring everybody who is in that position of mothering right now, of parenting in this period of time. Yeah. I think that it can be really both liberating and constraining when you identify something in your own life or your patterning in your family that you would like to disrupt and change for your child. And what you're doing by even recognizing that is you're disrupting the kind of the neural pathway that has been set there, right? right? But to have so much compassion with ourselves because we're one person and the way that we have been parented will really shape the way that we're able to show up as parents. And we can't be expected and nor can we heal a generation of children ahead of us. And in some ways, I don't think that's our job. I think in some ways that's making us more powerful than we actually are. It's it's holding up the illusion that we're more powerful than we are mm-hmm. because it's not just us and it's not it's up to just pressure. Us. It's a lot of pressure. And alongside that, I think that we can go two ways with this. One is we can recognize the things that we want to break, the things we want to do differently, and we practice it and we get it wrong and we mess up. We show our children what it looks like to apologize and we repair and we embrace our humanity, Mm -hmm. which is the opposite of what the perfect mother myth asks of us. Mm -hmm. It asks to dehumanize ourselves by being a caricature and we're able to see perhaps other parents with greater compassion and humanity when we understand all of the ways in which their experience has been shaped by factors beyond their own choice and control necessarily. So I think that can be a really powerful place to be. And if we get into a position where we are guided by that, we can end up building a cage around ourselves that replicates the one we're trying to be, tried to (laughs) escape, right? We can build a new ideal that ends up being as constrictive and constraining as the one we've tried to escape. Right. And so this is why... If you have had the perfect, in your mind, the perfect mother, like you are trying to replicate the job that your parents did because you feel as though you have these magical aspects to your childhood that you want to replicate, that you've had trauma, illness, whatever it is in your life, and you feel like you're not doing it, that's a cage. And it's also a cage if you perceive you've had a toxic mother, a mother wound, you've been parented, you've been experienced childhood trauma, and you want to make sure you do the opposite of that. Right. Pendulum swings a bit too far. That's right. And we, if we're mothering in the shadow of something else, regardless of what that is, mm. then we will come undone and struggle in some way. And I think we can't fully escape that as social right. creatures. Right. But I think bringing consciousness to it and coming back to that exercise in terms of explaining to the person on, from, you know, the thing from Mars who that ideal mother is, going, writing all of that down, going through that list and circling, okay, what are the things here that I feel resident to me. What things have I taken on in my belief system? What things can I reject and just cross off? You're like, well, well that may be the case, but I really don't care about cooking from scratch or whatever it may be. <laughs> right. And then we can go through and go, okay, well, what of these have I inherited? Where have they been perhaps built in the shadow of not wanting to be the mother that I had? And how can I get a little more curious about them? And sometimes we need to do this work. I think we often actually maybe always, although that's mm-hmm. important, you need to do this work not alone, like alongside either a practitioner, a therapist, facilitator, a friend, community in some way. But for us to be able to untangle our values 
and what we want in our lives versus what we've inherited and the beliefs we've been socialized into. And that's a messy process, but that's essentially what we're getting at here in this conversation to come into connection with our agency and being present with what is the context of our lives right now. And all of that dials down that inner critic, dials down that judgment, dials down that sense of guilt and shame. And that is what we're talking about when we say liberation. It's living from self informed by the world I'm in and my history, rather than trying to run on this treadmill of trying to get it right. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love the idea of liberation and having some freedom from these constraints, especially, I mean, I'm thinking for people who are just kind of just now learning that they have been under the pressure of these things and like, you know, people's minds being blown by that, that they even have a choice. Like it's not something they just have to do that you, you can look at it and look at your context and see what's playing a role and decide. I mean, that it sounds, you don't just change overnight, but at least to build this awareness in and of itself comes with freedom, even if you don't change anything yet. Yes. And I would say like, if this conversation, if somebody is listening to this, and this is the first time that you've heard about the perfect mother myth or motherhood studies, or this is the, your first orientation to this type of work, I would encourage you not to try and change anything yet. Uh, because it's just about letting it absorb, sink in, open up a new awareness. And that's enough for right now. 
because we can get to a place where we, and particularly anybody who has like would identify themselves as a perfectionist. If they're told, well, you're telling me that there's a different way to mother. Well, I'm going to get that right. Let me try and nail that. (laughs) So just being really gentle with ourselves to go, we get to take this slowly and in little faded like steps. And you may just notice next time I'm feeling guilty about something to just ask myself the question. I think I have this model guilt garden, the summary of it. Just imagine a little guard pops up on one shoulder And they work on behalf of the fish tank. They work on behalf of, I call it patriarchal motherhood, but all the shoulds. And then you have the other guard pop up on the other side and they work on behalf of your values, of what's important to you. Mm. So is that guilt instructive? Is it from the guard working on behalf of your values? And maybe there does need to be a shift or a change in your behavior or what could happen next time? How could we do things different? Maybe a repair with our, our child, depending on what we're feeling guilty about. But if it's working on behalf of patriarchal motherhood, if it's something that actually this isn't mine to carry, let me question this. Just that act of questioning, that process of questioning is chipping away at those beliefs. And, and over time, you know, I've been doing this work with mothers for about four or five years now. And I have people in my programs from Connected With who I did this work with the very beginning. And their experience of mothering is completely different now. Um, So just also holding on to hope that actually, even though we are within this context and we are within this society and we can't necessarily change our resourcing, there can actually be huge shifts made in how you experience your life, how you talk to yourself and how you value yourself as a mother and all that you're carrying and doing and holding. Right. I mean, that's just even what you just said, there's a possibility that this is out there for people who feel the constraint, feel the stress, just to know that there's a door open there, even if you don't know what that's going to look like or how to walk through it or, or anything like that. Again, is just another step towards that, like feeling relief, feeling some sense of freedom or possibility for yourself that might not have been there before. I know there's so much that you do to help others understand how they can continue on this path. But what are some other things that you work on with people to help them? Yeah, I think that as I kind of briefly mentioned before, doing this type of thinking, inquiry, questioning with somebody else, if possible, because it can be really hard when sometimes we can go around in circles with ourselves. And look, let's be honest, if depending on the age of your children, especially we're pretty time poor, you know, like what, yeah. who, where are you listening to this? Are you out on a walk with the pram? Are you in the car? Are you commuting? What does that look like? And so it actually can take work to carve out a little bit of space. And I'm talking, you know, half an hour to sit and write out that list and to start just questioning. If you're a partner, to have a conversation with your partner of what it been, if your partner is a man, what it been a dad look like for you? How are you fathered? What did you expect fatherhood to look like? You know, if you're partnered with another woman asking, what did motherhood look like for you? How were you mothered? What were your expectations? Just raising the question, if you're partnered with a partner and or with friends, co-workers, just I think about it as tiny little seeds that you drop when you first do this work and you will hopefully have one person pick up that seed somewhere. So some people will just, they're not really interested in the conversation and they move on or they dismiss it. That's fine. But you may find that with somebody, they pick it up and they're like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, things are so different now for me as a mum than I expected. Like, oh, yeah, in what way? This is how it is for me. Mm -hmm. And opening up those little 
conversations that can actually lead to greater depth and connection. Because if you can find one other mother, and it doesn't have to be in person, could even be online. Mm-hmm. There's so many online communities. I have a um, tab on my website called Directory, and there are all the practitioners I've trained in this that run heaps of programs. And if you can find at least one other mother to be able to connect with and bring in as a friendship where you're able to talk honestly about your experience as a mother without judgment, without offering each other advice to just go, oh, here's how my day has been. It is so hard and, and, or, and, oh my gosh, my toddler just said this to me. My heart is bursting. Mm -hmm. Five minutes ago, I was tearing my hair out. Like being able to talk honestly about our experiences is, can be such an opening to healing and connection. And it means that we don't have to hold up this facade with each other. I don't have to pretend that I feel guilty for something I don't actually feel guilty about because I'm trying to prove how much I'm trying as a mother. I don't have to pretend that I can juggle all the balls in the air and if I let one drop, it's my fault because I'm not skilled enough. I don't have to pretend that I love every moment. Like where we're able to pull down that facade with other people, then that is huge. You know, that gives us more than what we know. And it lasts a long time. And we get to then pass that gift on to our children in how they witness us in our humanness and in our connection with others. So I think finding a little opening of space, dropping some seeds, giving yourself 15, 30 minutes to do some journaling and reflection for yourself and just allow yourself to go where that may take you and and reach out if you're able to for individual support, if you're needing it and it all feels too much. It's also okay to turn away from this and come back to it at a later stage. Sure. Oh, I love that you said that too. Right. I mean, just the, some of the things you were saying just brings it back to how much, how silencing shame and guilt are. And the reason why some of this continues to thrive, the perfect mother myth is because of the silencing of of this shame and guilt. And if like, right, you're saying just one person, if you can connect with one person, how much that can open your world to not have to hold this so deeply internally and have it be festering in there and not turning into depression and so on and so forth. I mean, it can, you can go down the rabbit hole very quickly with the shame and guilt and like, you need that lifeline outside of your head with somebody that you care about or trust to be able to get out of the habit of all of this. That's right. Yeah. Just being seen, you know, being seen. And in that fish tank analogy, if you imagine going up to the edge of a tank and looking back and you see reflected back at you, not just your reflection as you are, but it's tainted by all of the writing around what's written on there as the perfect mother myth. You don't see yourself clearly in that. You know, we need to be able to be seen by others and for them to reflect back parts of ourselves we may not even have visible to us. So, you know, we're social creatures, we need each other, but this is why it can also be so hard living within a society that is holding up these sorts of narratives. So finding the little spaces and the cracks in the tank where you can. Is there anything uh, else that you'd like to share with us for today? Yeah. I mean, thank you for this conversation. And I know we've kind of jam packed quite a lot of stuff in, which I I try to do in podcast episodes because I'm like, this may be the one and only, you know, conversation somebody listens to on this topic. I hope not. But if it is to just take one thing out of the conversation that 
landed with you, intrigued you, interested you, that you would like to sit with, write down, revisit, explore, to allow ourselves to be where we are and to really go, it's okay how things are. We don't need to, we've got enough on our shoulders as mothers and we're carrying enough weight as it is that we don't need to put on our shoulders to dismantle patriarchy and completely (laughs) detox ourselves from it. So I like to always say that because I think that can often come up when we get really passionate about this and, you know, I feel my entire career and business around it. But to know that actually the whole point of all of this is for you to be able to live a life that is closer to your agency, your authenticity, who you are, to be able to feel the full breadth and depth of your experience as a human being, which includes your role as a mother, and to really value what it is that you're doing because we're living within that tank that often doesn't see our value. Um, You mentioned, I think, at the start of our conversation, kind of the valorizing of motherhood, the way that it can be seen as this holy grail of mm-hmm. We, you, here you are, you've made it, you're a mother. Mm-hmm. And the hallmark way in which that is held on a pedestal is actually part of our invisibilizing because we're made more than human, but we're not, we're humans and we only have so much capacity and we can only bear so much. And what we need is actually to be valued, to be supported by institutions, to be recognized by our culture and our society and for our broader world to be invested in caregiving, to understand that we are as social creatures, as human beings, we are dependent on each other and we all were babies. And if we're lucky enough, we'll get to an age where we will need care again and we will need so at various stages of our lives. So it is also part of a broader mission, I suppose, or objective in making visible the unseen and valuing care work that is usually unpaid. And so if we're not there yet within our broader world, let's start with ourselves and really valuing and honouring all that you're doing and that you're holding as a mother. So that's probably the way that I would end is just to really you know, recognise for each of you what you're carrying and holding and knowing that you're enough as you are and your value is not dependent upon what you offer to others. You know, it's inherent for you as a human being. So yeah, I hope that listeners are able to take what they need from the conversation. And I really appreciate you inviting me here, Kat. Yeah, absolutely. It's a a beautiful, thank you so much for everything you offered today. And I just know for sure that it's going to help a lot of people who listen. And I thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Kat. What a wonderful episode and way to start off this new year. I just love all of this and the message that Sophie shared with you at the end there. You can connect with her at drsophiebrock.com, also on Instagram and Facebook at drsophiebrock. And she also made mention that you can find the Fish Tank of Motherhood link online on her website, drsophiebrock.com. I know that you know somebody who could benefit from hearing this episode, so please do share it with them. This is vital. It's really vital that we are hearing this conversation, understanding the pressures that are on us as mothers, and doing what we can to break that up and live a life that feels just a little bit more free. For sure, stay tuned on the Mom and Mind podcast for our continued series behind the sessions, where I break down all of the things that happen during sessions talk about what people talk about in therapy and the things that folks are trying to heal from. The behind the sessions conversations that I'm having with you 
are yet another way of trying to break down that stigma and for you to have a deeper understanding of your experience. So you have a little bit more choice and flexibility with yourself as you go through this process of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Thank you so much for being with us until next time. Please find the mom and mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at mom and mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.